uh, a number of years ago, I had uh, finished, I had done a memorial service for a beloved saint. And uh, at the reception, uh, following the service, uh, I was um, out of the blue, uh, encountered by a gentleman. Uh, we, were, we were actually in the men's room, washing our hands, about to, about to leave. And without picking his head up from the sink, I'm standing right next to him, without picking his head up, he, he asked me, um, so have you uh, worked in engineering? And I said, as a matter of fact, I have. I said, why do you ask? He said, well, he said, I listened to your homily during the memorial service, and he said, I saw a well-ordered mind. He said, your homily made sense. He said, it was easy to follow. He said, I got it. And I'm sitting there thinking, there's no way this guy has not worked in some branch of science or engineering at some point in his life. Now, I know that that's fairly evident in me, and I've been asked that question a number of times. And so... I was intrigued by his insight. Um, he didn't agree with almost anything that I had to say, but we did agree that I had a fairly well-ordered mind. He detected a certain kind of mind because of the design, uh, the order of the homily, as I said. Design and order, this might come as a shock to you, are realities that have preoccupied me for quite some time, uh, actually decades. I've got books at home that talk about the design of God in the world and the order that God has built into the world for his glory and for the good of his people. Uh, I often see God's design in nature, observing his order in the ways of the world. I have a distinct memory when Hannah was a child, shortly after arriving in Brooklyn, uh, we both one day were lying flat on our bellies in this little driveway that we had, observing ants. Proverbs chapter 6 tells you to consider the way of the ant, its industriousness, and how you ought not to be a sluggard. So here, here I am with my seven-year-old lying down in a Brooklyn driveway watching ants build their little houses and so on and so forth. And I still do that as an adult all these years later. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, actually, I was outside watching ants run, a, run a, such a direct line along the sidewalk of the place where I live right now, and I literally was following them, trying to figure out where they were coming from and what it was that they were doing. And their super ant strength, they're able to lift, I don't know, what, 10 or 20 times their own weight, and they just zip around all over the place. And I think, 10 times my weight, and if I could walk around with the better part of a ton, just, you know, like, here I go. That's quite some design. It's quite some order. And here it is, God calling us to keep an eye on ants so that we would learn a little bit about industriousness. For years, design and order have intrigued me as I've seen it in God's world, as I see it in this room right now. And there's perhaps no clearer display, I think you'll agree with me, there's no clearer display of God's design and order than in the Ten Commandments. I mean, if God seeks to accomplish anything, it's the ordering of his people in a foreign land at that point in time, which, as you've heard, just read, they would fear him and not sin. Well, God does this by design, and he's doing the same thing for you and for me right now, and particularly as they pertain to interpersonal relationships. Believe it or not, God has something to say about the relationships that you have, whether you remember the number of years you've been married or not. <laughs> We've seen in the first four commandments 
our relationship to God. The fifth commandment starts the back half, and it deals more with our relationships with other image bearers, with other human beings. And here in the fifth commandment, it's with our mothers and our fathers. But as you can easily imagine, if you've listened carefully to the first four, it's going to expand as an expansiveness to each and every one of these commandments, particularly as we move through the biblical storyline and take it into the new covenant and read it backwards after we understand it in our initial context. So today we begin the second half of the Ten Commandments, the half dedicated to the love of our neighbors, to the love of God's image bearers. I read occasionally the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's a document that was written in the 17th century by our forefathers in England, um, trying to get order to the church back in that time. It's a fantastic document. Don't agree with every single thing in it. But from that document, they also developed catechisms, catechisms which the modern-day church knows literally nothing about. And that's uh, for our shame, quite frankly, because it's not too many generations back where catechizing still took place. And children learned the short catechism. They knew what the answer to the first question was. What is the chief end of man? Does anybody in the room know what the answer to that question is? According to the Westminster Confession of Faith, what is the chief end of man? I can hear my wife mumbling. I would be really disappointed if my wife did not know it. Was it you mumbling? Oh, it was not. Somebody else was mumbling it. It was you mumbling it. Okay, good. Two people in the room know what the answer to the first question of the Westminster Confession of Faith is. What is the chief end of man? Three? You're on your way there. All right, you, you get a point. But your last name matters. Here's, here's what that Westminster Confession in, in the larger catechism, it's question 122, for those of you who want to run home and look it up, and you really should. Here's what, here's what they say. Listen to this. The sum of the six commandments, five to ten, which contains our duty to man is this, to love our neighbor as ourselves and to do to others what we would have them do to us. Straightforward, right? Second great commandment. The first one is, as you heard Moise already say it, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus himself said, the whole kit and caboodle is tied up in those two commands. And that's really the model of the Ten Commandments. Love God and love neighbor. If that's your mantra, if that's your life's mission, you're in a really good place. As simple as that is. But go live a life and try to do it. Love God and love neighbor as yourself. To the degree that you make efforts to keep yourself going, to give yourself joy, try to imagine doing that to a neighbor. Who? Who? I'm going to go into the weeds right here now, Cindy, and I'm going to say, try doing that to somebody you don't like. <laughs> On Staten Island, I'll throw that in. The sum of the six commandments, okay? So beginning today, what we're doing here is pressing on loving our neighbor. Loving our neighbor. As ourselves and to do to them the golden rule, right? To do to them what we would have others, to do to them what they would, we would have them do to us. Matthew 7, 12. If you look carefully around the building, you'll see, you'll see uh, Pastor Mark's three R's. 
It's the backbone that shapes a lot of the behavior here in the school. And on the bottom of all of those posters that hang up is, we call it, we call it M712, Matthew 712. It's the golden rule. Do to others what you'd have them do to you. One of the first questions I ask a lawbreaker in this school when he's thrown into my office is, how would you like it if I did that to you? That's bringing the kindness and the love that a principal has to bring. And he said, no, I wouldn't like to do it. I said, well, why did you do it to somebody else then? And then I usually get, you're not going to give me a sermon on Matthew 7:12 again, are you? No, but I want you to repeat the one I said to you last week when you were in this room. The fifth commandment is honor your father and your mother. Paul's going to tell us, remind us, that it's the first commandment that has a promise. Do this and you'll live long in the land that the Lord your God has given to you. The Deuteronomy version in Deuteronomy chapter 5 includes, and you will be prosperous. You'll live long in the land, Egypt now, Egypt, and be prosperous in a foreign land, okay? Many commentators, I would agree with them, see this because it's dead center in the Ten Commandments, understand that promise to pertain to all ten of them. I think, I think that's good, and I think we should go there. That the way to human flourishing is obeying the Ten Commandments. Now, now, we have to remember that we've got to read that through a new covenant lens. Because there are a lot of people, and you know a lot of them, who think that they're on the fast track to heaven because they are keeping the Ten Commandments. You heard me just read, right? Luke 18. There was a guy who had more money than he could count, and he had the audacity to tell Jesus that the, that the commandments that he had just named, he had actually kept his entire life. Jesus, ever so patient, didn't snicker at him as far as we know, but Jesus, being Jesus, said, okay, I'm going to look right past those things because that's just smoke and mirrors right now, and I'm going to go right for the heart. Your heart is owned by your riches. Get rid of them if you want to follow me. And what was his answer? I basically don't want to follow you. Too big is the idol. Too big is the other God that has control over my life. Most good conservative evangelicals like you and me today, we quickly dismissed the rich young ruler out of Luke, Luke 18 because it was only him that he told to sell all of his possessions, not us. Well, I'm here to tell you that pretty much everyone sitting in this room and anybody watching me through this camera right now has more wealth than the rich young ruler did. And what would you do if Jesus showed up tomorrow morning and said, sell it all? Full disclosure, I don't know what I would do. I don't know what I would do. I would pray that the Lord would give me the resolve that I would need in order to obey him under such conditions. Honor your father and your mother. Exodus 28. We're going to follow the same format, what's forbidden, what is required. And as I said throughout, we'll, we'll pray briefly for at least six of the families that we have now caring for parents, okay? But first, there's a but first. First, before we talk about what, it, what is forbidden, what is required, we need to answer the question, what does it mean to honor? 
Honor your mother, honor your father, and honor your mother. What does it mean to honor? Some people, if I were to you know, conduct a survey, some people would immediately say to honor somebody is to obey them. That's true. It's an aspect of it. But I want to be sure that we understand that honoring is more than simply obedience. Because uh, as a child of divorced parents, I know full well that I can obey without honoring. You know, do what I tell you, full stop. I'll do what I'll tell you, but my teeth are going to be gritted the whole way. So there's, there, there's a, a little bit more of a nuance that we need in this honor thing than just simply to say to honor my mom and my dad is just to obey them. And we've got enough examples sitting in this room. You obeyed, but you didn't like it. You, you know in your heart of hearts you weren't honoring your parents. Maybe you were. I, I shouldn't be so sweeping. But just because you obey doesn't mean you're necessarily honoring. So what does honoring mean? Let me give you a working definition here. It can be wider, but this gets it in one nice, simple sentence. To honor is to give the respect and the weight of authority a person deserves. That's, that's, that's a textbook definition for this Hebrew word that's involved here right now. It's giving the respect and the weight of authority a person deserves. The literal root of the word is weight. It's weightiness. So when you talk honor and when you see honor show up, there's a weight associated with that person that is due honor. In other words, they have authority. And the Bible calls us to honor those with authority. They have, they have heaviness, if you please. And so we are to respect them and to give proper due to the authority that, that, they, that a person deserves. And obviously, it, we'll see here in just a moment, that the, the Lord has given parents weight. They are not the equal of their children. They have more authority than their children by design. And by God's design, it's for our good. Now, I don't need to tell anybody in the room how that can go sideways, which is why this is a real tricky commandment, admittedly. There, but there are no yabats. That's the challenge. Honor your father and your mother. Yeah, but you don't know my father. You're right. I, I perhaps don't. But we still have to wrestle with this and find a way to give the proper respect, even though... It may have not gone the way God had designed it to. And unfortunately, I don't have the time to delve into all of that, but we will touch on this as we go along the way. The fifth commandment is God's order on display within the family. And as such, his people are to obey with joy if they desire God's blessing. That's what he says in the back half of the verse, in 12, the second half of 12. Honor your father and your mother. Here's the, here's the purpose, the promise, that your days may be long in the land and that, uh, that the Lord your God is giving you. Just in passing and moving along here, don't lose, don't lose sight of the fact that it says again, your God. It's personal. Yes, this is God on high, commanding his people, but it's also on the ground. The Lord your God is giving you these. There's this interpersonal dynamic. And the, basically the communication is, I'm ordering your life in a way that, if properly carried out, will cause you to flourish. Namely, will cause you to live according to my will, which will bring you joy, ultimately, and me glory, which is what the whole thing is all about. 
We're going to see, however, that this order of authority expands to include all authorities. And we'll see this in the teaching of Jesus as well as the apostles. But for now, let me give you the Westminster Confession of Faith, the larger catechism, answer to question 124. I read earlier 122. Here's the answer to 124. The question that the, the, the catechism asks is this. What is meant by father and mother in the fifth commandment? Now, you would think that would be pretty straight up, right? The, the father and mother. The two who bore me. That's father and mother. But watch. It's more penetrating than that. Here's their answer. Not only natural parents, but all superiors in age and gifts. Now, just, just, just to handle the word superiors with me, it's, it's 16th, 17th century culture. It, it's, not, it's politically incorrect for me to say that today, but just hear it in its context, okay? Those who are above us, if you please. Not necessarily superior to us in other ways, but those who have more weight, if you please, than we do. Not only natural parents, but all superiors in age and gifts. And especially such as by God's ordinance by God's design, are over us in place of authority, whether in family, church, or commonwealth. You got it? So to obey the fifth commandment is not only to obey or to honor your mother and father, but it's also going to be to honor those who are in authority over you in the local church as well as in the local county. That's really good, if you ask me. And you see God's order expanding. Just think of it as concentric circles. From my home to my church to the world in which I live, God has ordained an order that is meant for my good and for his glory. Now, it doesn't mean it always functions that way, and that's the backside of living in a fallen world. But it's good, I think, and I'm going to show you biblical justification for that in just a moment. First pause to pray with me, if you would, for the Augustowskis and the Colvert family. Uh, Augustowskis are caring for dear, Alan's dear mother, Dolores, and the Colverts are carrying, carrying, caring for uh, and living with uh, Moise's dad, Joseph. Father, we praise, we praise you for the privilege of the examples that we have in our own congregation of those who are honoring uh, their parents in the way that they're sacrificially caring for them. I pray for your ongoing anointing over the Augustowskis and the Colverts uh, in the care of their families. Please give them what they need, wisdom, material needs as well, in order to provide for these um, beloved parents in the days to come. We ask it in Christ's name, amen. So what does the fifth commandment forbid? It's a good question. In its original context, it's fairly straightforward. The Lord made abundantly clear that in order for his people to receive the blessings of his covenant, they would need to honor the boundaries that he had drawn. Now, let's make sure that sits in here a little bit, okay? In order to receive the blessing that God desires to give to his covenant-bearing people, they must abide by the guidelines, the boundaries that he has drawn. You with me so far? Because what immediately follows from that? What immediately follows from that is you ought not to expect the blessing of God if you're outside of his boundaries. You follow me? 
You can't throw a rock anywhere on Staten Island without hitting hard against this very principle. Where people either think they're blessed or are expecting to be blessed and they're just living life any way they want to. And to draw lines around that, even to tell them that it's for their good, is to basically push hard up against those rights that they will absolutely not refuse, even though, under our dear brother John, we sang that we would give them up this morning. When God's boundaries push on your rights, which moves? Consider, consider these restatements of the law within the law in other places, as well as within the wisdom literature. I refer you to Leviticus chapter 19. Remind you, now, where are we on the line? We're in Leviticus, so this is Old Covenant. We have to run this through the Jesus grid to understand its application for us. All I'm doing is showing you now how God's people continue to remind themselves of what it is that God had commanded. Leviticus 19 and chapter, Leviticus 19, beginning in verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses and saying, this is, a, this is a repeat, Leviticus repeats a lot of the law. Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel, say to them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. See how many, see many of the commandments you can pick out of this one little, one, this one little statement I'm reading for you right now. Verse, verse 3, every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metals. I am the Lord your God. There's what? Four or five, four or five commandments right there, right? Would you count six? Is that what you said? Revere. So we get, we get a little bit of a help with definition here. So what does it mean to honor my mother and father? Well, according to Leviticus 19.3, we are to revere them. Does that mean I worship them blindly? That's not what that means. It means respect. It means God has put them over me. He will hold them accountable. That's where we have to let it go. Believe me when I tell you it took me a long time to let go what my father did. And some who listen to me carefully wonder whether or not I've actually done that. Fair enough. But I revere him, as it were, because of his position and his authority over me, even though I disagree with the way he handled it. It's challenging. Don't get me wrong. It's challenging. Been there, done that. I know of which I speak. If you stay with me a little bit further down in Leviticus 19, and you go to verse 32. Moses is winding it up a little bit here. Don't turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out, and so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Those are, those are re readers, tarot cards, and so forth. 32, 1932. You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. So built into the fabric of God's people, God's old covenant people, is respect for gray hair, a metaphor for old age. And in a culture like ours, which is absolutely beholden to the youth and wants to eliminate the old as quickly as possible, the Bible says, nah uh 
stand up, show respect. There's gray hair on the top of those domes for a reason. And they're not just to be shoved off to the side. Stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man. Proverbs 23, 22. Listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. It's a proverb. It's not an absolute lockdown maxim. There are exceptions to proverbs. But as a rule, here it is. What is it? that the father is writing to the son, which is basically what the book of Proverbs is. That's Proverbs 1 to 9, is dad giving counsel to young son about how to find a way in this world. And it all starts with respect for mom and dad. Am I right? I mean, it's just a quick pause right here. I, I, I mean, I just start going down through the directory of school. Boom, 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 boom. And I'm seeing a lot of tails wagging a lot of dogs. And we get asked regularly, regularly to be the home. And I have to gently tell folks, no. New Dope Christian Academy exists to serve the local church and the home. We will serve you, we will help you, but we will not replace you. Listen to your father who gave you life. Do not despise your mother when she's old. Now, okay, that's, that's old covenant, Pastor Mark. That's, that's good. We don't, you know, you tell us all the time. It doesn't immediately apply to us unless we run it through the Jesus grid. So show me the Jesus grid. Glad you asked. I'm going to show it to you right now. Matthew chapter 15 is the Jesus grid through which this runs. And I'm assuming that you're okay, that if Jesus is still okay with this commandment, that you're okay with this commandment. Am I right? Am I on safe ground right there? Watch what Jesus does. Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands when they eat. Don't you just, I mean, by the time, by the time you get deep into the Gospels, you've about had it with the Pharisees. I mean, it's just chasing Jesus around. Your disciples aren't washing their hands. I'm so glad that doesn't happen in ministry anymore. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands when they eat. Gross. Ugh. Three, he answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Boom. Four, for God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. In other words, we're going to redraw the lines of God so that it, 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 it's more appealing to us, says the Pharisee, all of which we are in some mode of recovery. Honor my mother and father, yes, but I'm only going this far, and I've already given them the gift, so that's enough. The rest of it, mine. Back it up. Jesus says, no, that's not what it said. That's not what it's about. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Jesus is holding this up. He's fulfilling it. As we know, Matthew 5, 17, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. So do the syllogism with me again. I'm going to do this every week for you. 
Jesus has fulfilled the law and the prophets. I am in Jesus, therefore, in God's eyes, I have fulfilled the law and the prophets. Take a big deep of that grace. Take a big, long gulp of that grace-filled water. Jesus has fulfilled the law and the prophets. I'm in Jesus. God looks at me as having fulfilled the law and the prophets. So you're free. You're free. You don't have to keep the Ten Commandments in order to earn God's favor. Remember? We saw that right up front in Exodus chapter 20. I am, you shall. I am, you shall. You heard me pray it. A, a, a slogan that I came across a couple of months ago that just blew my mind. I have sinned, says religion. I have sinned. My father's going to kill me. The gospel says, I have sinned. I have to go tell dad. Jesus honors the command to honors, honor one's parents by giving an example of what the fifth commandment forbids. The fifth commandment, I'm going to say it this way, Jesus declares clearly that the fifth commandment forbids you messing with the boundaries that God has drawn. I'm going to give you one more verse. It's Romans 1.30. It's, it's stunning. Romans 1.30 is stunning. You tell me how high up this was held. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. The women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and so forth. Verse 28. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. See, here's the boundary thing. Since they did not see fit to play within God's boundaries... God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. This is going on in the world today. 29. They are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips. Now verse 30. Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. What? Disobedient to parents. Are you kidding me? Just being disobedient to my parents puts me in that list? Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They know God's righteous decree, and those who practice them deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. My, 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 is there a commandment that speaks to our culture today? The fifth commandment forbids playing with God's boundaries and finding a way to avoid the difficulty of this commandment. In Christ, God has given you the resource to carry this out. Father, we pray for Nadia Diaz and Wendy Gorelnik. We thank you for their faithfulness to their parents. Wendy to her dad, Nadia to her mom. We pray that you continue to give these young women, these faithful women of God, the strength that they need in order to care for parents. We pray especially for those parents, Father, who may not know you. And we ask that our members, our brothers, our sisters might be beacons of light in what might be spheres of darkness. 
bring about a saving power to our parents that are unsaved. For I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So as we wind down, we ask, what then does the fifth commandment require? When we turn to the new covenant, we see what Jen Wilkins calls an expansive obedience. God has designed his world with order, order that creates the context for the flourishing of his image bearers. Those are important words. God has designed order into the world so that his image bearers may flourish. There are three spheres of authority to which the fifth commandment speaks. The first one we've talked about, family. In Matthew chapter 15, Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 46, I want to read you a couple of verses. 15, 46. Oh, dear. What did I not do right here? Yeah, it's not 1546. Why do I not have, I do not have the right address. I apologize for that. Um, 1540, the, the passage that I wanted to refer to there was uh, Jesus, Jesus talking to his followers. I'll get the address for you later. Uh, Jesus talking to his followers about who his mother and who his father were. Blessed is the mother and father that bore you. Blessed is the mother that bore you. And Jesus said, who is my mother and father? And he looks around them and he says to them, those who do my will are my brother and sister and my mother and my father. This is a strategic passage in the teaching of Jesus because what he does is he expands the definition of family. Family now moves past the nuclear family, which is a fairly recent term, to include the body of Christ, which is why we've, which is why I've said to you that our bonds in Christ are thicker than bloodlines. It's an amazing reality for me to think. As close as I am to my blood brother, those of you who are in Christ are even closer to me than I am to him. Jesus takes this one step further when, in John 19, he's hanging on the cross. John 19, 26 and 27, he still honors his mother. And how does he honor his mother? He says, woman, behold your son, pointing to John. And to John, and to John, my disciple, he says, behold your mother. He honors his mother to his literal last breath. But he also transforms again the idea of what a family is. Ephesians 6, 1 to 3 is that place where Paul tells the households how to run. In Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 6, 2 of Ephesians, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that it may live long in the land. So Paul is going to bring that over into the new covenant, apply it to his community as well, and he's going to change it just a little bit by saying, in the Lord. And that's the magic for you and for me. In the Lord, we're honoring our parents. The strength that we need in order to do that, the transformation that we need to do that, comes from being in relationship with the Lord. So the first sphere that the fifth commandment speaks to and tells us, requires of us, is the family. The second one is the church. 
Romans chapter 12, verse 10. When we were there several weeks ago, you heard me say that the mark of the community is love. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast what is good. But 12, 10, love one another with brotherly affection. See the brotherly, brotherly affection. We call one another brother and sister. Outdo one another in doing what? Showing honor. So this gets expanded to include, within the body of Christ, the giving of honor to one another. But watch how this goes when Paul writes to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, this is what he says in a more direct way. 1 Timothy chapter 5, the entire chapter is given over to instructions for the church. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, young men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. That's how we are to treat one another. So you don't walk around. I use Paul all the time, and I'm so grateful for Paul's willingness along these lines. Paul's the, you know, he's one of the reigning elders in the building, and you know that. He is an elder in the church, but he's also an elder. He's one of the older members who've been, who's been here for 50-some-odd years. Those who are younger than Paul have no right to walk up to Paul and disrespect him. The sheer fact that he's as old as he is, that he's got gray hair on the top of his head, warrants your respect. So I should treat him as a father. I should treat younger men as my brothers. I should treat older women as mother. Younger women as my sister, in all purity. And the same works for you too. See how transformative this becomes? When was the last time we actually lived like that? When was the last time you actually experienced the church as a family? Moise has got it on posters hanging up in, in, the, in the lunchroom. The youth group is a family, not just a gathering of wild kids. 1 Timothy 5, 8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he's denied the faith and he's worse than an unbeliever. I know you've got a different culture, and I know there's no Social Security, and I know that Social Security back then was making sure you had enough kids who were going to get married and have kids so that they'd be able to take you in when you had nowhere else to go. I get that. But the principle still prevails. You and I don't have a right to shove off mom and dad because they're becoming a burden to us. Paul says it's part and parcel of who you are as a Christian. And he finishes in verse 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Now, this is, a, this is a passage that people like me don't preach. Why? Because I have to look you in the eye and tell you to submit to my authority. We don't like to do that. We like to earn that. We like to live that out in front of you so that you, you do not so much to my personality, because you may not like me, but the fact that I'm Pastor Mark ought to warrant a certain degree of honor. Elder Paul, Elder Moise, Elder Anthony, Elder Nader. That's all you have to hear, and you should automatically kick in respect. But a guy like me who preaches and teaches, the Bible says I'm worthy of double honor if I do a decent job. Well, it's way more than a decent job, but if I do it in Ephesians, Hebrews 13, 17, is the, is the passage that no preacher will preach because it tells the congregation to obey your leaders. 
And you ought to do it because it's in your best interest. Because if you make your pastor's life miserable, it's going to be really hard for him to care for you in the way that he's supposed to. That's literally what Hebrews 13, 17 says. So all I'm doing, and I'm being very careful here, all I'm doing is putting the Bible out in front of you and telling you, under the, under the branch of honor and the weight of authority, I have been given a certain amount, and it is your responsibility to honor that. That, that also doesn't work very well in the world. If I don't like you, if I don't like something you say, whether it's well within orthodoxy or not, you know what, I can assert, here it comes again, I can assert my rights and tell you what you can do with it. And I wish I could look you all in the eye and say, thank God that's never ever happened to me. It's standard fare. And I sit here and I trumpet the word of God and I tell you that just by virtue of being a pastor, God has invested in me a certain amount of authority for which I'm gonna have to give an account. Don't think that doesn't keep me awake at night. And the people in the various places where I have been have put me in my place fairly regularly, thinking that they can. God has ordered elders in the local congregation for your good, for your good, for your joy. You don't have to like me, you don't have to like the elders but they've been duly placed there by the body of Christ and it's now incumbent upon you to submit to their authority. Unless, of course, they're heretics or they're immoral or they ask you to do something heretical or immoral. The spheres of authority to which the fifth commandment applies is the family and it's the church and it's society. This is where we'll finish. You heard me also in Romans chapter 13, verse 7. Pay to all what is owed to him, revenue to revenue who's owed, respect to whose respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So Paul is going to expand this honor capacity and say to you that the one that's governing you in society is by virtue of their position worthy of honor. Now think about the struggle that you and I have because you know, a certain person is sitting in a chair in a White House a few miles away from here, and you're like, no, not my president. Nuh-uh. Uh-uh. Peter himself will say, Peter, who would have gotten in anybody's face given the chance? First Peter 2.17, honor everyone. And then at the end of the verse, he says, honor the emperor. Do you know how that would have caused the grinding of teeth in that Roman environment, Peter telling me to honor the emperor. Are you kidding me? Do you know what he's doing to our people? The fifth commandment extends family, church, society. God's order, God's design, ultimately for his glory and for our good. So here's where I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave you with the promise that your days will be long on the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. The question is, as you've already heard me strongly allude, is that the enemy is going to lurk all over the place. And he's going to, he's going to get in your grill, and he's going to arch your back 
so that you sit stiff-necked like me at times and said, no, 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 no. I'm not submitting to A, B, and C. Uh-uh. It's not going to happen. We need to ask ourselves, why? Why do we have that attitude? Because I don't like something, because I don't like somebody's decision, because I think it should be a different way. Be very careful. I'm, I'm, I, I, I want to gently, gently urge you. This is, this is the rough part of preaching. And I'm trying to be gentle and trying to, because there's a lot of this going on in the church. You've heard me say this for weeks now. This, this idea of, of my rights, my privilege. And if I don't like something, I can just tell whoever I have to tell off. Well, let's be really careful. You may very well be standing in open violation of the fifth commandment because you're unwilling to submit to the order that God has designed in this world. Be very careful about how quickly you might be able to self-justify this. That's the devil's playground. I hear you, Pastor. I'm in agreement with you, Pastor. But we can all agree that we cannot go there. I'm not so sure that we can all agree. The enemy will question, will attack, will redefine God's good design, our Father's life-sustaining structures. Think about, think, about the, think about one word. Think about how the word marriage has been redefined. This is exactly an example of what it is that I'm talking about. God's good design built into the fabric of his world for the good of his people. Redefine it. Redefine it and sneak it under tolerance. Sneak it under rights. Sneak it under anything else you want to sneak it under, but just redefine it. We ought not to expect human flourishing when we're coloring this far outside of God's boundaries. I'm not a prophet, nor the son of one. I don't know how God will bring judgment. He already is. There's no question about that. Paul makes that very clear in Romans 1 and 2. But for me in my household, which is you, I am going to, until God stops me breathing, as gently as I can, exhort you to stay within the boundaries of God's revealed will. within the boundaries of his Ten Commandments. My last sentence. To honor those in authority is ultimately to honor our Heavenly Father. Because he is the authority from which all other authority is derived. When we were raising Hannah and she had moments of disobedience, one of the lectures, albeit it was a lecture, but one of the lectures she heard from her dad was, listen, honey, we care enough to get up in your face on this because if you're going to disobey us now at four, five, six, seven, eight, 
You may not believe this, but in 10, 20 years, you will gladly disobey your loving Heavenly Father. Yes, the connection is that intimate. And it's also one of the things that I say very regularly in my office with the child who is being rebellious. I will say to that child, you know what's really concerning me right now? That in 10 years, you're going to spit in the face of God. And they look at me and they say, what are you talking about? I say, you will not obey your teacher? You are going at it with your mother? What makes me believe that in X number of years, God's going to come to you and you're going to say, yeah, right, I'll submit to you. Submitting to what God has designed is a way of submitting to God himself. And I gently want to ask you, church, because I love you and you know that we're on the same page here. There's not a soul here. There's not a soul online, as far as I know, who's ever going to sit here and look me right in the eye and say, yep, today I'm going to rebel against the authority of God. Nobody wakes up and does that in the morning. But you eventually get there because you make exceptions and color outside the lines ever so much. God perhaps is even calling you today to get back within his boundaries that you might live long in the land, as it were. Father, we will pray uh, in closing for Laura Novosek and Arlene Rutello and their respective parents, Laura's mom, Arlene's mom and dad. And we ask, Father, for these dear women uh, as well, for your blessing to rest upon them, that you would give them wisdom and strength, that you'd give them some sleep, Father. Uh, we know they work very hard uh, outside of their homes, and in addition to the care that they're providing for their beloved parents, um, it's, it's very much like working two full-time jobs. Help them, dear God. I pray that they would see you in and through these things, and that you would give them exactly what it is that they need. I thank you for this precious text, and I thank you for these dear, these dear saints that have uh, been patient for so long, uh, not just today, but over the weeks and months and years as well. I, I do pray, Father, that we would hear your voice, we would see you in all of this, and we would see it as good, and we would, we would desire it, we would, we would cherish it, and seek you for that which we need in order to walk in the obedience of faith, because we want your smile, we want your blessing. We want to do that which brings you honor and brings us joy. We humble ourselves before you, dear God, and pray all these things as we do in Jesus' name. Amen.